0: Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Okay, well, I want to get started and honor the time for people who came early. I'm kind I'm very excited about today's discussion. I've been studying and I'm really, really hoping that we have have a discussion um, and that more people Uh, depending on how uh, comfortable you are discussing will come up because I think this uh, information is fascinating. I'll quickly introduce myself and just kind of set the room. I'm Christina Dennis. I have long-term sobriety and I am a recovery coach. uh, And generally I work with people uh, to, um, you know, arrest those codependent patterns. And that tends to be my focus, but, I have the interesting you know, idea or at least experience of being in long-term sobriety and how you can kind of integrate that into the best recovery that you can have. And so this is a lifelong love of mine. Um, I am so excited to talk about this, uh, but quickly last week I was ill and I didn't get to have my room. So I'm gonna do a quick little review of some of the things that we might've been talking about two weeks ago, just to kind of get into the topic. Um, Before we do that, I do wanna point out to everybody that the replays are on and this is rebroadcasted. There are a lot of people who contact me asking to be able to have access to the room who can't be here at this exact time and do it live um, is one of the reasons why uh, I do leave them on, but always protect your anonymity and uh, be uh, be in a space if you want to share where you feel safe doing that. I will always do my best to make sure that the 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 people that have the mic, um, you know, are monitored in regards to being respectful to each other. You know, and then it's hard for me not to say um, say this, but you know, I like and ask people to speak from their from their viewpoint and what's going on with them um, but it is a discussion and so i just want to do a quick refresh of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, a lot of times you know um, I will come in and share information that I'm studying just like a textbook and I found that to be one of the most valuable things for me uh, and my own personal recovery to share it in this wonderful space, Recovery Life Discussions, and really get the viewpoint of others. So, I will share information, but I do also want a for you to know that i am a beginner in this i have read from this text uh, twice now within the confines of this room and i've read the book once and i am listening to it and reading it again studying it chapter by chapter so when i say something uh, i am sharing um, evidence-based observations from the book called a liberated mind and it is uh, he is the originator, Dr. Stephen Hayes, of the ACT therapy, uh, and that is acceptance and commitment. So, well, we discussed for two weeks some of the action steps that we could take, and I wanna talk a little bit and just do a refresher on the requirement for pivoting. And if you are interested in learning about the basics that I covered in chapter one, please go listen to the replays because I think there was amazing information that came not only from me, but from everyone. And if you recall, uh, the basis of, of living a life that you want to is having the ability to turn toward your pain, to pivot, from the dictator within uh, to uh, having psychological flexibility and i just love that term because i think it has been so helpful but admittedly it's a little murky for me so i'm going to do my best to share the concepts from chapter two and i really hope people will (laughs) kathy i see a pivot yes (laughs) we'll see um feel comfortable sharing your own experiences. So there was a simple summarization of the ACT therapy and it was uh, six pivots. And I wanna remind you of those because it's been a couple weeks um, and then we'll move into the chapter two information. So the first pivot is see our thoughts with enough, enough distance that we can choose what we need to do next, regardless of our minds chatter. Two, notice the story we've constructed of ourselves and gain perspective about who we are. Three, allow ourselves to feel, even when the feelings are painful or create a sense of vulnerability. Four, direct attention in an intentional way rather than by mere habit, noticing what is present here and now, inside us and out. Five, choose the qualities of being and doing what we want to evolve toward. And six, create habits that support these choices. And, um, you know, it sounds so easy, right? Easy peasy, I'm just gonna learn how to do that. And if, uh, if I would be so bold to say, well, sure, sure, I could do that, except when I'm in the middle of an anxiety attack, except when my mind has convinced me That very real challenges are going on in my life, except when my uh, uh, unexplored emotions seem to take over me. And so I'm gonna talk a lot about the experience and the explanation that he has uh, written in his book. Um, And um, just to confirm that uh, Dr. Hayes is a recovering person and he is somebody who uh, dealt with his um, paralyzing anxiety and we have a lot of rooms around uh, the co-occurring disorders of anxiety and depression and I think it's really prevalent in the recovery world so I'm super excited about kind of breaking down these steps and uh, seeing how everybody else feels about this information. Um, So, Chapter two starts with the dictator within, which I really think that um, many of us uh, in recovery are familiar with the fact that we have a dictator within. And I'm just, you know, wanna say I feel like Those of us who are in recovery kind of have already had one of these experiences. If you've gotten sober or you have physical sobriety, you've already done this pivoting and changed it. But the idea behind the book and one of the reasons why I'm super interested in is because one... um, I have found that in some of my other uh, recovery groups, that was just the beginning. It helped me get physical sobriety, but I needed to know more. And when I read about psychological flexibility and psychological rigidity, which is what we discussed a couple of weeks ago, I realized, well, I still suffer from that. And so I've been a seeker and I really encourage anybody to go and pull a liberated mind. If you have a visceral response to some of the things that I'm gonna share, I want you to, you know, kind of look uh, look at that and realize that that's hopefully a hint that, yeah, we can still kind of move toward um, recovery and changing our thinking, which is a lot about what rewiring your brain, uh, the premise behind this discussion in the first place. Um, but I will admit, in chapter two, this doctor shared some things that kind of offended me. Um, and uh, they reminded me of, in the past, when I was in the middle of having, you know, a flare up of my anxiety, I remember how painful it was to hear some of these truths, um, because i i I wanted to believe, and still part of me believes this that anxiety was happening to me and that other people didn't understand how hard it was for me. And, um, and so I I, if that feeling comes up when I share this, I just want to affirm it because I had it and have it still to this day. If someone comes up and tries to tell me, you know, not to be in the middle of my anxiety attack, I want to respond, you know, in anger. Um, But I have to say, after reading this book now, I'm on my second trip, uh, that ah, a lot of it really does make sense. And so in chapter two, he talks about um, about anxiety and the dictator within. And I want to share a, a sentence, a paragraph, because I think his words are going to be better than mine. But it really, really kind of laid out Uh, how I have dealt with my anxiety in the past. Now, um, side note, I've done a lot of work on my autonomic nervous system. I've done a lot of work on uh, transforming my trauma, but I have to say, I still have anxiety. like I think most of us who are uh, willing to live this life um, without our anesthesia and so I'll share really quickly when we run from our experiences because this describes me my anxiety has been growing steadily the rancor in my department that triggered my first panic attack has broken out into full-fledged civil war with my colleagues now he's sharing about how his business he's a, a college professor, how there's all this surrounding around him. Um, and, you know, he shared in the first chapter about his first panic attack as a psychologist and researcher and what that felt like. And it was around, um, you know, people not getting along around us. <laughs> Sounds very familiar to, I think, what we're dealing with as a whole uh, in this world. Adding to the strain, the divorce that had been set in motion shortly before my first panic attack was now becoming final. <sighs> been there, right? One thing we talk about at the Recover Life and recovered Life is that, you know, our problems don't go away when we let go of alcohol. Um, despite outward appearances of getting on with my life and work, panic had gradually became, become the central focus of my life. I tried to gain control over the attacks using all the methods I could think of, not realizing that all of them were based on the same flawed premise. They were all, in one way or another, attempts to escape, avoid, or diminish anxiety. Of course, right? (laughs) The goal was to be achieved by any means necessary, situational chemical cognitive emotional or behavioral the specific tactics i told myself to use included try to expose yourself to the frightening situations because that is supposed to make fear subside we've seen that right um uh, we've heard of that where people will go face their fear get on a plane you know and then all of a sudden the anxiety is gone Uh, I don't think that's 100% true, but we've certainly seen exposure intervention as being something that may work for people. Learn and practice relaxation techniques. (sighs) Definitely one of my favorites. Try to think more rationally. Sit near the door so you can get out easily. Don't rush before going into a meeting. Your heart rate might go up. Always have an excuse to leave just in case you need it check your heart rate subtly just to make sure it's okay joke over prepare uh, avoid giving talks let graduate students do them taking tranquilizers having a friend in sight when you're talking and distract yourself with soothing musicals music and so as I was reading it the first time I was like well yeah that that's what we do and I was kind of offended you know like he was saying that the way that I made um, and worked on my anxiety directly was of course, you know, not the only way, nor was it really effective. The anxiety wasn't going away. I was doing my best to run from it. And I thought, wow, this is really um, true. And I have to say that I didn't like this information when I first read it, but I've started to kind of open my mind and try to have a little more flexibility around what this might mean. And so he goes on to tell the story about a, a bottom that he had uh, where the dictator was, uh, the dictator within was continuing to uh, create anxiety for him and his entire uh, premise was to try to run away from it and I shared this already and I think it's so important. Of course you deal with your physical safety first. Of course there's nothing wrong with working on our nervous system and moving toward healing. Of course we talk about trauma. Um, Well, I guess that isn't of course, some people don't. Um, But I love the idea of turning toward our experience because that is where we actually get to see that there are multiple options to what we're feeling and um, I want to share one other thing that let me see if I got to it that um, before I open up the discussion that I feel is really interesting so his uh, I'll quickly surmise his story uh, about himself he was having a a panic attack that had woken him up Uh, and if you are familiar with panic attacks even talking about panic attacks can make um my anxiety grow and so uh feeling a little offended i go on to read the rest of his information he talks about having a physical panic attack that emulated a heart attack and i have been there and i have had this happen to me and uh, doesn't discuss whether he addresses that with medication but because he is in the middle of it and believes he's having a heart attack, he took this moment to really think about what is that anxiety doing? Really, what is it? And um, I'm feeling a little shame because I'm not presenting the information so clearly, but I hope that it's kind of getting through. And, and I, I do encourage people to read the book, but partner with somebody when you're reading the book, because it's quite shocking some of the things that get said. Uh, but he said he started looking at it from a scientific sense. He started, of course, you know, his day job was entering in, and it wasn't just that dictator within, which, you know, The Course of Miracles calls the ego, which a lot of times we are starting to recognize. And if you've been in recovery for a little while, you've had these thoughts, and you've been around at least conversations where they have these thoughts about what does, who is really, thinking these thoughts and are my thoughts telling me the truth and there's a lot of effort being pushed toward changing the thoughts uh, and not so much about actually embracing the thoughts and exploring them and so on this particular night he wakes up thinking he has a heart attack but his flexibility tells him he's 33 years old and he's probably not having a heart attack But there's a part of him that kind of thinks, whew, good, this is physical. This isn't just in my mind. You know, fighting anxiety is really frightening because we think we're fighting ourselves, right? This anxiety is true. And so he goes on to explain how he goes to call the ambulance two or three times but then a movie plays you know which i think is a lot what anxiety looks like in our minds the movie plays and at the end he sees this very smug doctor come up and say you know dr hayes you're not having a heart attack you're having a panic attack and so at that point he decides that he's not going to go into the ambulance and see it he's going to stay and look toward the panic and feel it and not try to avoid it and let it come. And that particular, I would call it like a, a bottom, like we all do, is what got him started to think about analyzing anxiety and looking at all of the ways that we treat anxiety uh, in uh, psychology, because he's a psychologist, and started thinking there's got to be a way for us to shortcut this, which is what I really am interested in and why I wanna study this book, for us to shortcut it and learn how to pivot um, on all of the things that are driving us. I know I have heard and known of the phrase, I am not the thinker, I am not my thoughts, I am the thinker of my thoughts, but I haven't had always a grasp on what that really means, nor have I had the time to study it Um, to the level that kind of study doesn't always equate to my survivor person. My survivor person wants techniques. And so I'm going to read a little more from uh, from his point of view that I hope will find it compelling for us to kind of look at this and then I hope we'll have a discussion because I've been talking a lot. So at the end of it, he talks about the new research journey that came And if you you may recall in one of my previous uh, discussions that they had uh, a controlled group of three sets of addicts, active addicts that wanted to um, get sober. And the first group, the control group of course had no intervention, um, but they had made a decision that they were gonna try to get physical sobriety. The second group uh, actually used the 12 steps and they had, you know, some success. But the third group used the process of ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, in which they fleshed this all out and worked with them, and they were four times more successful in getting sober. So, although I love the 12 steps, I do believe that there's, and and have committed my life to learning more and more about it. And uh, so, Hopefully, um, I've got some fellow thinkers who want to kind of talk about it um, and reflect back to me what your thoughts are. I really wanna know them and we we benefit from knowing each other. So I'm just gonna read this last paragraph. None of the schools of research and therapy had grappled well with a set of questions I now perceived as vital. How does the voice of the dictator within develop in our minds? Why are our thought processes so automatic? And why are the messages of the dictator so incessant? I wanted to understand why negative thought patterns can be set in motion by the slightest triggers, even while we are not fully conscious, as I have found with my panic attack coming upon me while I slept. In addition, why do we find these negative thoughts so compelling? Why do they continue to hold such power over us, even after we've told ourselves rationally they're not good for us? Why isn't the effort to think them away through the rational sort of argumentation that traditional CBT instructs more powerful? I could see that answering these questions would require a better understanding of human language and cognition. I expected we would not be able to find ways to help conscious help people consciously distance themselves from the voice not needing to hit bottom as I had without understanding how our thoughts take on so much power over us. I also suspect that with the answers we could achieve a myriad myriad positive goals not only helping people break free from the monkey traps of thought that imprison them in so many unhealthy conditions, but also training children with deficiencies in thinking and emotional skills, how to reason or how to connect with others in a healthy way. So um, we've already, like I said before, as addicts, as sober people, we've already incorporated some of these abilities to pivot. You know, we've learned how to do it. But those six pivots that I talked about, I think that we can get better of it, better at it for people, and that we can kind of learn and really kind of incorporate this whole idea of being able to distance ourselves from these awful thoughts and um, I see a lot of people in the room who follow some really, really great teachers. And I hope to be able to bring some of their concepts into this room. But I've talked plenty and I want to ask, um, ask people to share their thoughts with me. Come on up. First I'll see Amber if um, you're so kind to, to uh, be my co-mod. Do you have any thoughts about this and what it feels like to kind of hear about anxiety and this whole idea of running toward our anxiety Mm,
1: um yeah that's a lot i i was just thinking like how much um anxiety and negative our negative thoughts at least my negative thoughts are so much from my fear, and so much from fear of trying to protect me. Um, and I love the idea of these six little pivots um, to just even make that slight little open um, kind of new guidance to something new. Um, I'm going to have to think about it for a little bit. It's so deep. <laughs> but this is such good stuff.
0: Oh, thank you. I know. I know that's I've I've I mean, I literally have studied this one chapter for three hours um, and so I don't I don't expect anybody to take the info. I, I really hope but I just felt like it was important to see what reflections are about this whole idea. Um, Chelsea, you raised your hand. I'd love to hear what you have to share and and for anybody who's joining the room, we are talking about, um, you know, in in um, a certain type of therapy, an evidence-based therapy called ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and this whole idea of learning about the dictator within and the needs to pivot, and is, is some of the things that we are taught in order to deal with our anxiety are may not be as helpful, or they may be incomplete is kind of the way I would like to say it. And so Chelsea, the mic is yours. Hi.
2: <clears throat> oh my goodness. Um I do love I love all these talks because like I love um the language of the the things that kind of pop up. Like this I love that the psychological flexibility. Like I love that term. Um I I, with the dictator within, um, kind of thinking about like running from our experience or like escaping and stuff. Like I was kind of like, Oh, what? Like, cause I know, um, especially recently, like my anxiety has been through the roof, like waking up kind of in that panic, like, um, heart Beating like this and that. And and so like, I definitely have been using a lot of different techniques to like calm that down. Um, and I also, I also was thinking, I'm like, am I just kind of, and I like, I've been coloring every night and, and on clubhouse and like, just kind of doing all the things I know, like, get me down to, um, like I don't know, more of like a homeostasis. Um, so to think of like you know, by to 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 run from experience by anything necessary like, and, and to hear it include relaxation techniques, I was like, "Mm,"
0: because
2: like, that's all I've been focusing. on. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, like, I guess not really, because I do a lot of journaling and exploring, like, when he was asking all those questions, I was like, writing down some of them as well. Um, And Um, I don't know when it's, I like, oh, there were so many thoughts. Um, but like when it was talking about, um, change the changing versus exploring, um, and like acknowledging like who's in charge and that sort of thing. And I like, I do hear in recovery, a lot of talk about, um, ego death, um, I think it like, it's like usually associated with like the 11th stop or like the 11th stop prayer, like getting rid of ego. Um, but I like the, I don't know, like the, the, the knowing the truth, um, through, I wrote like knowing the truth through anxiety, like using skills in the moment. Cause that was also kind of talked about, um, um kind of like he acknowledged that he is you know young and it's probably not a heart attack and this and that but it wasn't like really enough to like calm it down and um but i don't know like it's a lot to think about because i do love the the pivot because i also am a person like that needs facts and stuff like with this with like my Like this COVID experience, it's calmed me down a lot more because a year later, I'm understanding more about like why the things linger so long and like what's associated with what. And it kind of calms me down. Um, And yeah, when I'm like running towards the like anxiety and trying to explore all of the things like... um, I definitely, I don't know, like I like the the thing that I think of most like as my tool is like free writing um, because it's almost like my brain is off and I go back and read it um, and kind of like explore those as well because like I'm writing so quickly. Um, it is like a different voice is happening um, especially like when I'm in extreme moments, like I keep, a my journal, like by my side all the time. And like in moments of high, high anxiety, I start writing. Um, so again, I don't know if that's like running away. Um,
0: but I don't know. It's interesting to think about. You, uh, thank you, Chelsea. That reflected, you reflected so much about how, I mean, that is how I felt about it too. Like there was this. You know, I, I kind of wanted to die on that hill that, no, my anxiety is real, but I don't think, and because I have the, you know, I've read the book already once, um, I, I end up finding out that he is not um, saying that uh, that you are supposed to sit down and just endure it. But it's it's kind of like not all the effort can be focused on avoiding it. And I, I do kind of like that idea, like there is something to acceptance um, and just accepting, you know, like for me, I accept that um, that there are days where, um, where I'm not, not nearly, going. I'm not gonna be as effective. I'm not nearly as effective. And I can pivot away from uh, the moments uh, that, you know, my inner, ego is telling me this is not okay and you are you are a failure i mean i made a mistake this morning it was a miscommunication uh somebody was ready to record and i was sleeping and i had the exact experience in the, like i had the opportunity to turn toward that and really look it in the eye you know so i have this anxiety and because i was willing to look at that and say Okay, anxiety, what are you telling me? Oh, you're telling me that this person's never going to talk to me again. Well, what would happen if they never talked to me again? Oh, I'd be okay. It wasn't meant to be. And so that kind of speaks to being like turning toward it, but I'm very, very torn. Uh, you know, uh, the, the nervous system, you have to address the nervous system because you won't have access to your prefrontal cortex. You just can't be a problem solver. Um, if you're, I mean, uh, watching my son's reactions, I realized there's no way to learn how to do it better. Uh, but it, the way that it, the visualization that he shared was that you're watching a movie, and this movie feels exactly black and white, but think about in the corner, is there another movie or another ending that could be happening at the same time and so allowing myself to divorce rather than avoid watching the movie allowing myself to look at the movie and see oh no there are alternatives there are flexibilities there are different things there's um a movie out uh, Well, what's been out everything i don't know the name of it oh everything all at once everything i don't know I know that there's some people in this room who have seen it, so um, maybe I'll look it up. But it talks about multi-universes and time dimension, and I'm so underqualified to talk about it. But when I watched that movie, it made me think about how this this could be adapted into my life. Um, So, thank you. And uh, Jules, Mr. Jules, so happy to see you love to hear your thoughts.
3: Hi. Um, Everything all at once at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Trippy, right?
3: I saw it. Yeah. Almost gives you epilepsy,
0: doesn't it? Exactly.
3: Yeah. I haven't read the, the book, so the conversation's a bit nebulous for me so i'm just uh i'm just gonna hang out and i'll just just pop my head up if i got a comment if that's okay thanks
0: absolutely i want to say one thing
3: that that chelsea mentioned um hi chelsea mentioned um ego death and um that's frequently referred to in um macro dosing psychedelics and you know people on ayahuasca retreats um, to cure addictions and find themselves and so forth. They refer to ego death um, uh, within a psychedelic trip. And you're supposed to feel feel fantastic afterwards um, and uh, love everyone more and so forth. And I'm a little bit preoccupied with the topic, uh, as you may remember. But um, anyway, I just wanted to say that about ego death. And uh, oh, that's... That's my comment. Thanks. Oh,
0: that's so interesting. All right. OK, well, uh, I want to say your name correctly. Is it hop?
2: Yeah, yeah, Shihab. Sure.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Welcome to the stage. Love to hear your thoughts about what we're sharing about today.
1: Uh, sorry, sorry. Again, uh, I just entered the room,
0: so oh, I don't okay. know
1: what I'm talking about. Yet.
0: OK, well, uh, just to do a quick refresh. On the room, uh, we're uh, we discussing the, uh, the, the recovery book um, and the very, uh, very evidence based therapy that may not be as well known or to people called ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And so, uh, shared a lot about how anxiety plays a role um, in my life. And I've heard from many, many other people how anxiety has played a very large role and there's a lot of effort, um, you know, uh, when we talk about uh, modalities and professional help out there to really focus all of our effort on, um, you know, figuring out how to avoid it. And although I think that is very prudent and I think that that makes sense, we must keep ourselves physically alive. Uh, in the in the book, he talks about exposure therapy and no, it, it is not as helpful, nor is it as successful to just push yourself out there, feel the fear and do it anyway. But when we're looking at rewiring our brain, it's uh, the, the hope that I have in introducing these kind of concepts and, and the way that I can understand is that we can one, see that we have so many more options. uh, available to us and uh, there's a lot of help out there and that includes being willing to be psychologically flexible and open to some of the things that have plagued us like anxiety which is what he brings up but I, I think it's super important for everyone in recovery to realize that we've already done this one time in our life we've already done exactly what the book um, describes as uh, you know the six pivots and I'll, make, I'll repeat them again uh, just for people who shared late. Uh, one, we see our thoughts with enough distance that we can choose what we do next regardless of our minds chatter. Two, notice the story we've constructed of ourselves and gain perspective about who we are. Three, allow ourselves to feel even when the feelings are painful or create a sense of vulnerability. For direct attention in an intentional way rather than by mere habit. Noticing what is present here and now inside of us and out. Five, choose the qualities of being and doing what we want to evolve toward. And six, create habits that support these choices. You know, for me, everything that I learned in the 12 steps, my first year sobriety is represented in those six pivots and whether you went through the 12 steps or you did another you know another way that you've gained physical sobriety we can all see where we started to separate separate ourselves from our minds chapped chatter because we know the mind tells us we can physically see it that once we ingest alcohol to a degree um that the dopamine Uh, that happens is bigger than anything else. And our brains are designed to become addicted. So being able to not pick up a drink shows us that we are creating enough distance. And that's often what it takes. It takes, well, I haven't met anybody who had a clear brain three days later. I know, I noticed, uh, I Googled something about how long does it take to withdraw from alcohol and it's all over the place, 72 hours. Well, for those of us with sobriety, we know that it—that maybe the withdrawal symptoms will happen, but it takes years for us to distance our thoughts. Um, and often, you know, we have that first year reprieve and sometimes that second year comes in and it feels even harder. We notice the story we've constructed of ourselves and gain perspective about who we are. Yeah, the story that I had constructed was that I was, I was, uh, uh, you know, I was a bad person. I had no ability to quit. I was just, you know, a glutton and just making poor decisions after poor decisions once I ingested that drink. And so when I first came into recovery and heard that, no, that is actually a physical allergy, um, that that is a process. And the more we've learned in the last 25 years, the more that it has reminded me that the story I had about myself, which is I cannot live without alcohol and I'm a piece of crap. So I need to drink in order to keep breathing was not true, and I noticed that story. Allow ourselves to feel even when feelings are painful. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talk about that all the time, about turning toward the feelings, exploring them, you know, noticing them, allowing them to have a place, but not necessarily, not necessarily making all the decisions for us in direct attention intentional ways. I mean, I could go on and on, but it's so important for us to see that, and I hope that people will go along with, uh, with me as I continue to bring some of the solution that is evidence-based into other parts of our, our lives, because we can do what we did with alcohol or drugs, we have the hope of doing it with some of the other things that have shown up. And and if you're an extra sensitive person like me, there is hope. There is hope. And, um, and I just, I really appreciate the people that came up uh, and shared. And just want to open it up and see if anybody else would like to share on this topic or anything that's going on in your life.
1: Okay, I'm going to listen now so after that i can talk okay okay thanks thank you so much um i was just gonna say that um yeah i was thinking about whenever i am in the middle of having intense anxiety um and i've had those panic attacks too like where it feels like you're gonna have um, a heart attack i used to have them really bad um, and then I was on some medication and, and slowly and surely it got rid of them, but I just remember, you know, the, I love the flexibility and the stories, distancing the thoughts and the stories. Um, cause I notice sometimes, especially when I want to dig into myself or dig into my life or, or, you know, go to the worst case scenario. <clears throat> and, um, it's, it's honestly, it's just a story. It's just a thought or a, um, you know, one direct path on how this is going to happen and what's going to happen to me or how this is going to go fall apart. And it's really interesting that, yeah, I can just open it a little bit and there's so much more freedom. And, um, and I think that's, that's huge. Um, because I have definitely suffered from this is how my life's going to go and it's not going to get any better until I slowly started to open my mind to a lot of different, uh, ways and having that flexibility in my thoughts. So, um, I mean, you've definitely helped with that, but I, I just, that was a huge one that I was thinking about. And, um, yeah, the stories too, there's just a lot of things. Um, it's such a slight little and I love the word that he uses as pivot because, it's just a tiny little movement, it's just a tiny, sometimes it can be so hard in those moments to even feel like you can take your next breath or uh, take the next step or whatever. And so I just love that it's not even a step, it's just a a shift, it's just a tiny little shift. So um, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to share right now.
0: Uh, You're so right and I love that you shared that because I remember and I don't know if people have heard this, Uh, Besides me, I'm pretty old, you know, when I, I went to outpatient rehab and this divine badass of a person uh, helped me walk through, you know, some of the most difficult uh, truths. Uh, And I remember she used to say, you just have to pray to be willing to be willing. And that would drive me bonkers. Like, what the F is that? What are you talking about? tell me what i'm supposed to know um but i i honestly believe that this very thick very long-winded book uh, uh at least from my first reading although i do want to bring some actual action steps to everybody because i think those are going to be helpful so stay tuned follow me please um i have a wonderful uh Newsletter that I put out where I go into more detail about some of this stuff, and uh, it's completely for free. So hit me up and uh, check out some of my programs because I do believe that we can break down these very kind of lofty, um, a little bit woo woo, right? (laughs) To ideas that can help us. And that's what I'm all about like bringing actual information to people and having kind of these hard discussions. I mean, and so being willing to be willing is at least the step, as you so aptly said, Amber, it's just a turn. I'm not even moving. Hey, Kathy, you came back. I know you had to jump off.
4: Yeah, my apologies. Um, and uh, uh, about that, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of that phone call. Um, and apologies if I've missed anything, and I repeat um, what somebody said earlier. But this um, this concept is is appealing to me. Um, willing to be willing is a is a nice way of putting it. Um, I like the idea of non avoidance in in therapy that appeals to me immediately. Um, the some of the therapies I've tried in the past with the bipolar stuff have worked very well. CBT has always worked very well for me. But in terms of other Working on other aspects of myself, um, I I like the idea of uh, taking ownership and not accepting particularly, but identifying uh, certain certain things and maybe not embracing them, but certainly accepting that they they are going to be part of my life for a while, but, um, and giving myself some I can, the wrong word again, but uh, control, I guess. Um, and I like, I like, I like action. I like action in therapy. I, li- I like um, working on things. I'm, I'm not particularly uh, a navel gazer. Um, and whilst this sounds like there is obviously a lot, that the thought process is the important thing. It's um, there is work to be done, and it sounds difficult, which also appeals to me in a very perverse way. <laughs> um, but it sounds like it's worthwhile as well, so thank you for introducing this into um into my life uh Christina like you have so many things through your newsletter and through recovered life um I'm certainly gonna um have a a longer look and um and maybe start adhering to some of its principles or certain certainly skirting around it um and starting with this book um which is I believe a liberated mind um I think that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. So yeah, I, I'm um, I'm quite open to um, to working along with this. So thank you.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's exactly how I felt. Like, oh, goodness. Um, you know, but, but uh, really wanting to share uh, exactly, you know, what it does. Uh, I want to put up, I, I put up my link. Actually, I think I put up the wrong link, but I want to let everybody know that I have a pretty comprehensive free program and you know i spent a year uh, on clubhouse talking about recovery and codependency and now i have it on my website and so i'm going to fix the link but i hope everybody will hit it up and read some of the information because it's impossible to kind of go through all of these things um, and listen to it Listen to this new information unless we've done some work uh, on ourselves and worked on the things that make it impossible for us to move forward. So, uh, I want to um, also talk about tomorrow's room because I will be back. Uh, Hit up the link, follow me. Uh, Tomorrow's room, we're going to be discussing um, setting healthy boundaries and codependency. And whether you like the word or not, there's, you know, there's a it's relation repair at its finest. It is relation repair. And uh, I'm going to bring in some of the information that I'm getting from this book and break it down into, like Kathy said, those action steps, because I'm with you completely any information that I can assimilate that allows me to think of something uh, that moves me a little closer to this ability to have this um, ego uh, under, you know, like, to divorce myself from my ego to be able to do that is going to help me because i just don't have the brain that's able to do it nor do i have the time i don't believe <laughs> i may be able to figure it out after doing some of this stuff and have more time i've certainly been able to change over the last 24 years uh, 25 years on how i handle myself but i'm so glad and i hope people will return uh, next week or come tomorrow so we can get to know each other and you can learn a little more about uh, boundaries and recovery and just elevating yourself. You deserve it, you know, we we deserve to study and take time for ourselves. This is how we end up having the life that was meant for us. You know, when I got sober, I didn't quite embrace that the first few years, I was still all about how do I fix my wrongs and how do I move forward Uh, and, you know, get those accolades. My codependency was absolutely in the driver's seat. And, you know, the only thing that I can say that I've done 100% right in recovery is not pick up an alcoholic drink. Everything else has been up for grabs, and so I'll continue to show up and share.